0: Hey everyone, thank you for joining us for this week's edition of All Things Evangelism. I'm here with a very friendly guy, Neil Thompson, and I asked him to come in today because our subject for today's podcast is friendship evangelism. And so I thought, if we're going to talk about friendship evangelism... We have to have a pretty friendly guy come in. So Pastor Neil is one of the happiest people I know. Either that or he's just got a permanent smile stuck on his face. I don't oh, know. It's probably just a permanent smile, Matt. <laughs> yeah. And so, man, we've had such a good conversation, guys. We're so regretting that we didn't just...
1: Walk in, and hit the record button, and immediately we started connecting again yeah. this morning. I anyway. hate
0: that. I hate that. It happens all the time. But, yeah, look, I'm real glad that you could come, Neil, because I think this is a, a an important topic to discuss. We have day been rightly so, are focused on evangelism and mission. Since our inception, we've been determined to preach the everlasting gospel. And so the question arises, have we gotten to a place where, or have we been at a place where we're doing evangelistic outreach and we do mission, and it's more of a job than a passion, and it's more of work we do so that we can succeed, but we're not really being friendly and really caring in in our approach
1: Yeah, that's such a good observation. I think one of the drivers that might be behind that as well is a sense, we take very seriously the words of Jesus where he says, go to all the world and take the gospel, disciple, baptize, teach, and do those things. And the gospel to the world in this generation is another verse that inspires us or the gospel to the whole world and then the end will come. So it's, yeah, let's bring on the end. We'll evangelize the world. Unfortunately, what that can mean for some people is the focus then is on the declaration of, got to get the message out there. I've been in places where it's like the emphasis was on totally, let's get the message out there. It doesn't matter whether people accept it, reject it, whether they even, so long as they get it in their hand, then our job is done. And I'm like, oh, so this is all just about beaming the signal out, so to speak. It's not about the reception of that signal. And I don't think that's what Jesus is actually after. He's after the encounter with individuals. And that encounter would then actually result in friendships, in connection, in brother to brother, sister to sister kind of connections that would then lead people to relationship with God.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And I find myself, because I'm a very task oriented person fully doing the work of God with that mindset. I, I do think that I like people. I think that I want to be friends with people. My neighbor, sure, Chris, I like him a lot. My neighbor, Mark, I like him a lot. My neighbor, John, we always have a great... I think I'm a relatively friendly person, but I do, I can say I do a lot of time as just a job. Like I'm just doing the job. I've got to finish the job. Very task oriented and not people centered.
1: uh, Yeah. And I think as a church, one of the things that we struggle with is our legacy. Our success in the past is actually a problem for us today. Or another way of expressing that, the ghosts of our past, if you like. As an early church, we were in an environment, particularly in America, where it was thoroughly, all of those who were really good Christian people fled Europe. So America was flooded with Christian people, by and large, not exclusively, but by and large. And All that was really needed was to change their flavor, to introduce them to the truth. So early Adventist pioneers were really masterful at teaching people what the truth of Scripture was and convincing them of an alternate truth. We didn't need to focus on discipleship. And a consequence of that is play that forward and we've still excel at introducing people to the truth. That's the task. Our task is to introduce people to the truth. I remember as a kid growing up in the church, I was told that our job is not necessarily to, to reach out to the whole world, but to reach out to the other Christians and just teach them the truth. And it's like, oh, but that's such a shrinking number today. Like there's so many others we've got to reach. And it's almost like what we need to do now is to reinvent ourselves and to look at the strengths of what was working for us in the past, and what do we need to add to that to work in today's world?
0: Yeah, that's it. Hey, that's a really interesting observation. I like how you said that the success of our past has kind of can hinder us today. Yeah, it seemed like early Adventism. You just needed to take people to the next level, right? There was, there was a foundation of, of biblical Christianity that was in most people's you know minds and hearts. Like They, they were fundamentally Christian people, their worldview was informed by the Bible. There were just certain key truths that, that had been left behind. And here we are. We're here. We've appeared. And now we just need to take people another two or three degrees in the right direction and
1: totally and, 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 and you just think of one of the books that was popular about 20 years ago what i like about lutherans what i like about baptists what i like about and the implication of that or the idea behind it is they well, just need to know a little bit yeah and so it's all about the passing on of information rather than about entering into relationship so information passing was the important. And what's really needed now, particularly in today's culture in Australia, is people want to know, first of all, are you a decent bloke? Are you a friend? Are you really, do you really care about me? And if you do, then I might be interested in
0: knowing what you have to say. If you think of the old world too, when I say the old world, like the world of early Adventism, that world, people came for the most part from functional homes. And sure. their lives were more intact socially and emotionally than people today. So if I'm out witnessing, sharing the gospel as a Seventh-day Adventist, sharing the everlasting gospel and the fundamental truths of Scripture as understood by the church, I'm by and large bringing people into the fold who don't need a lot of social support, don't need a lot of emotional support, aren't really hungering and thirsting for a ton of new relationships because you know what, they've got a great relationship with their mom, their dad, their wife, their husband, for the most part. And if it's not great, it's there. It's it's more than today for the most part. So this tasks us with a a new challenge. People who were Adventists didn't have 75 years ago. And so, friend, being truly interested in people and concerned about their well-being in totality is more important, it seems, now than it would have been then. And so you could get away with just a sound argument in those days. And it could all work out for you. Number one, the people you're bringing into the church, they don't need a lot of support emotionally, relationally. Uh, and number two, they were already Christians, like what we're saying. That's have right. got this biblical worldview. We were talking before about how Ellen White even talked about this. She talked about argumentative discourses and how we needed to steer away. And I don't think she was saying we shouldn't argue or make an argument. The Bible says to earnestly contend for the faith, but I think she was just saying argumentative where you're just arguing and arguing and trying to win.
1: I I remember a a conversation I had in a person's home. So there was the contact I was working with doing Bible studies. He invited Jehovah's Witness into the room, and there was me. And that was a very unpleasant conversation. Go
0: get him, Neil. Yeah, well, totally, right? (laughs) And so
1: on the one hand, it's, yeah, I could totally demolish the guy, the Jehovah's Witness, and it wasn't pretty. But in the end, so I win that battle but lose the war because have I ac- – and I, I still was friends with the guy who I was studying with after that. But I just remember thinking and reflecting on that. It's, I don't want to ever be in that situation again. That's not the place that I want to find myself because the, the there's a time and place for things but that kind of wasn't it mm-hmm. and it, there's a much better way to actually bringing people to Christ, then bang, this argumentative kind of mode. It's just like, ah, I see the wisdom in what Ellen White was saying at that point.
0: So So tell me if you like this statement, and I'm going to try to articulate what we were talking and where we're leading in this, where we're going in this conversation. We as Adventists have received a cultural legacy, and it's an argumentative one. And it's not because... Or a debating style. Yeah, debating style. And it's not because we're... Bad people or mean people. I mean, we are, but you know, by nature, we're all sinners. But yeah. it's not that Seventh day Adventists are just like uniquely argumentative. It's because that's where we came, that's the world that we came from, and that suited the world that we came from in the past. And I was saying to you before, and I want to say this to everyone out there who listens to us. That even in our attempts to not be argumentative, we can be argumentative. Like I was, my friend Ty was given a a lecture one time about not being argumentative. And when when he got finished, I said, man, Ty, you made a great argument about not being argumentative. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Right, because he had a point to prove, right? He had a point to prove. Totally. His point was, we're so argumentative, let me argue against it. And let me argue for us being friendly. Now, Ty is a very friendly guy. So I'm not saying he's a hypocrite because he's the kind of guy who, he really does live good relationships. He's yeah. a really lovely and friendly guy. And you could definitely say he's a successful friendship evangelist. But that's
1: part of the handicap we have yeah. as an organization, right? Mm-hmm. As a movement is that history that we have. And we find ourselves in a completely different world now. So if you go back 120 years when our pioneers were really at their prime, what we had was a world that even the parts of the world that were no longer regularly attending church were still recognizably Christian and strongly Christian, so that if we won them, they had points of contact with their religious upbringing that it was easy for them to make connections with the church. And that would be true in Australia right up until the 50s and 60s, when 50, 60% of Australians still had connection with the church, their kids were going to Sunday schools, but that's so different. And the frame of reference is becoming so cold that kids today growing up in homes have no idea of biblical literacy. That is just so foreign from them. So, yeah, the methods that worked once for us and worked really well need to be adjusted, need to be tweaked. There is a place for a reasonable defense of Scripture and a reasonable defense of the truth. But we also need the quote that Ellen White says, which gets bandied around a lot and is misconstrued and used as a weapon by some, that the methods of Jesus and Jesus alone, you know, where he went about desiring people's good and so on. Yeah, we need to bring that to the center of this debate with the other. So it's like those two hands going side by side.
0: Just a side note on that quote too. If you ever do a word search on your Ellen White app and just type methods and see all the quotes that come out, she says things like there's not just one method. She's got much broader teaching on the methods of Jesus in that one statement, of course. Yeah, beautiful. That's more of a generic, general statement about how we do things. But it's true. And yeah, okay, friendship evangelism. We've gotten this far in our chat. And how do we define it? But you mean, people use the term oftentimes, friendship evangelism, and they usually use it as a term that's distinguishable from what we've done historically as Adventists evangelistically, right? Like, they're like, okay, we don't do traditional evangelism. We do friendship evangelism. And usually what that means, and I don't know what everyone means when they say that, but people will mean, I win people by being friendly that's friendship evangelism. I'm so friendly, it it wins people. Or we're going to be so friendly, we're going to win people by being friendly. Is that kind of your understanding too? That's how I gather. But
1: when you say it like that, it still sounds like a transaction. So I'll reframe that back again. It sounds a bit like this. So long as you're responding to me, I'll be friendly to you. But if you no longer (laughs) respond to me, I'm going to move on to the next one. And I don't know if that's how Jesus related to people. No,
0: not at all. But I'm just trying to define it, like yeah, just yeah, to how people mean it. The right. term so is usually that's usually what it means. Yes, I think that's that? what
1: people generally that, take yeah. it to mean. But I wanted to I want to take that further because yeah. I actually think there's a sense in which the obligation is really to be well. I care for you as a. In fact, I am obliged to love you as a person, and my love for you as a person is going to cause me to to serve you, to invest in you, to see and and help you see a better picture for your future of what could be if you were in relationship with God. I think that really gets to the heart of what friendship evangelism is about. It's a longer term strategy. I'm reminded of a minister's meeting that we had in Ladies Chap and Justin was there, he was a he was the president and I think it was Pavel Goya who came and he was talking to us and he got us to stand up if under different, how you were one to the church if a public evangelist, you the Lord through that, if you came because all these other things and then finally he said so stand up if you came to the Lord through someone bringing you to church as a friend and 80-90% of the room just stood up at that point point. Like, and, and that was his point, his point was it's friends it's like ordinary churchmen members, reaching out to their neighbors, to their work colleagues, their family members and so on, and saying, hey, come and experience what I've got because it's really changed my life, it can change yours. Instead of you wrestling with that problem alone, you can have a Christian community around you and support you. And I think that's at the heart of what Friendship Evangelism is about. It's not what we do, it's who we are. It's about our being.
0: So it's an expression, an honest expression of of friendly people, truly friendly people. Yeah, that's it. Hey, have you ever, uh, this is just, it's on the topic. We're just speaking to this topic. And so we can be right. in, Matt. We, Dive can just, in. we can just go different directions. But this is connected to what, what we're talking about. But I've always thought it was funny. And please, guys, don't think I'm being critical here because I'm not. But this is just, I'm expressing my thoughts. We're having a conversation. But in America, we, we always have this part of the service where the pastor or the person up front will ask the church to greet each other. And they'll say, hey, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm happy that you're here. I think that's cool. I think that's a nice thing to do. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's a nice icebreaker. There's nothing wrong with finding someone in the crowd who you've never talked to and sharing a few thoughts with them. That's a great thing. But then um, usually the, the pastor or the person will say, we do this because we're the friendliest church in town. We are the friendliest church in town. And I always think, about it, wait, wait a second, if you're the friendliest church in town, why do you have to set aside a specific time frame in your worship service to get people to talk to each other? Oh, come on, Matt. Come on, 100%, right? Just, just you know, a high-fiving Matt. And I'm not being critical to right. doing that, but um, what my point was just is that we can't say that we're the friendliest church in town when we're forced to have a specific portion of our service dedicated to making people say hi. This is an indication of the fact that...
1: Can we just balance it up a little bit? Because there's certain individuals who will be at church
0: who will be really shy,
1: withdrawn introverts. I'm an introvert, so I get that. So that moment can just be a moment, like you said, to break the ice and to help break down barriers.
0: I think it's good, by the way. I think every church should do it. I think it's fine. So 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 if, if
1: that's all it was, then 100%. It's like hardly friendly if we've got to put the act on to to suddenly be friendly. But as part of a a bigger picture of what can take place in a church to shift and break down barriers and get people connecting, it may be all right. It can be overdone. And and some people can really go, and they really hate it with a vengeance because it's like they don't have been forced to do anything in life. So there's all sorts of people in there. But I think at the heart of it is, right, how do we do this thing in church where we really are making friends with people and yep. breaking down those barriers.
0: Yeah, and just to be clear, I'm only pointing out the inconsistency of that thought, right? Like, it's not consistent to say we're the friendliest church when you have to have a time frame specifically dedicated to making your members talk to each other. Right. That's it's all a, I'm saying. Yeah, that's so, a tick-a-box so approach. So it's not a criticism of doing that in your church. So Brendan Pratt at the Union, he talks about consumerism in the church, and he basically talks about how, in his dissertation, he's he brings out the point that we talk so much about community and building community because there's a dearth of it. And I think sometimes when we talk about being friendly a lot, it's because we're just not naturally friendly. I, I, to your point before this, you're just talking about friendship being an authentic expression of who you are as a person, and it's not tied to the result you're going to get from being friendly. And so, like, something I think, this is just a p- piece of advice, advice I think I can give. And I think I'm qualified to give this advice because I I think this is one area out of a thousand that I've actually figured something out in. In the 9,999, it's a different question. I wouldn't give advice. But because I go to different churches every Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the churches I go to, they don't know who I am when I show up. Like not everybody. The, The general church membership, they don't know who I am. The head elder, the pastor, they're expecting me. A couple of the members, the Sabbath school leader or whoever might know me. But a lot of the rest of the church don't. And so one of the things that I'll do when I go to the church is I welcome everyone that I meet, even if it's not at the foyer. So I'll just say, hey, look, I'm so glad that you're in church today. I'm glad to be able to worship with you. What's your name? Where are you from? And I see such a positive—my wife does the same thing. And we see such a positive effect from that where it it seems to almost modify the environment where you've got just an individual person who nobody knows— No one knows that I'm from the church, that I work with the church, that I'm, quote, supposed to be friendly because it's my job. And just independently of the system or the position that I'm filling in the church that day, I'm not the greeter or whatever, just taking the initiative to just say a few nice things to every single person that I meet. Hey, I'm so glad that you're in church today. Welcome. I hope that you're blessed. Okay. Yeah, it's just a, just, a friendly greeting, a polite greeting and, a, and looking in the eyes and asking one or two questions and the person might feel nervous or a little uncomfortable. Maybe they're a fringe member or just an occasional attender or whatever, but I don't let their nervousness affect me. I'm just going to independently, without anyone sanctioning me to be nice, I'm just going to be friendly. And I think, I really do think that, that makes a difference. And maybe that's the advice that I would give is if we really want to be friendly, what it takes is a bunch of individual people choosing on an individual level to be friendly. Now, being I'm not friend- trying to be coy, but... Yeah, I no, it is. It, it's, it is what it
1: takes, Matt. Totally, it's so true. And yet there's a, there's another part to that as well. Being friendly, because we're talking about friendship evangelism. So being friendly is great, but I also need to be willing to take that next step, and that is to be a friend, which then moves beyond me just being nice to all of these people but now opening up my life to let them in and have a place at the table in my life so that it's I'll open up my home and invite you to my place so that we can share a meal together or that we'll go hang out somewhere and do some things. We'll go for a walk along a beach or up in the bush or whatever it is so that we'll start doing things and being friends together because if we're talking evangelism, being friendly, all of our churches would say, yeah, we're friendly but can I actually break into the cliques in your church and actually become a friend of someone there? And that's a whole different next level. And yet, in terms of friendship with evangelism, it's a really crucial next
0: step. That's a good point. There was a girl in a church that I was in in Vancouver, Canada, and she was just a quirky, insecure high school kid. For good reason, she was insecure. She was adopted by a, a West Indian woman who had immigrated to Canada. And she was a native Canadian. Maybe we, in Canada, it'd be called a First Nations mm-hmm. person. And her mom had died. Had I think she was murdered. Her mom was murdered. And the life that she lived with her mom as an adolescent was pretty wild, yeah. And uh, so here's this girl. She's maybe 13, super insecure, super weird, but just... When I say super weird, like she just say the most outlandish things to you, but she do it on purpose. You could tell, like I knew her I, I could s I could see in her that she just test people. So she'd come up to you, you're Hey Neil, nice to meet you Neil, my name's Johnny. Who are you? She's not Johnny. She's her name is not Johnny. But, and then she'd just say ridiculous things, like, you look like an elf. <laughs> and she'd run away. Just quirky, silly, goofy. And she's just punking you out a bit. She's being a troll. Like, she's mm-hmm. just going to say ridiculous things for, for whatever reason. And I just remember I decided I'm just going to be, she made me feel insecure because her insecurity provokes my insecurity. And I just decided, oh, I'm going to be a friend. She's, she's a nice kid. And I'd try to talk to her normally. Anyways, it took me a long time to win her over. But but eventually I did. And it, and it was just a matter of like me reading her poems. And it's a longer story. I didn't just, I just heard she wrote poems. I asked if if I could read her poems one time. After like her mistreating me for about three months, insulting me, embarrassing me publicly and i just persisted in just deciding i'm gonna be this girl's friend and uh, yeah i just said hey I've, I've heard that you write poems i love to read them yeah. i read her poems some were terrible some were good but i read them seriously and i wanted her to know afterwards that i read her poems like for real and i mm. contemplated the thoughts and the meanings of what she was saying and what she was trying to communicate And I, I, when i gave her poems back we sat down for 15 minutes and i'm like hey listen this was awesome i can't believe how well you articulated this really profound idea with that kind of analogy. Wow, that was amazing. And then other, you know, this poem, ah, typical 13-year-old girl. So is terrible. Just honest critique. And man, from that point forward, she, she is like my best mate. And years later, she, she's just a beautiful kid. We had a great relationship for a little while. So that, I think, determining that you're going to be someone's friend, or at least you're going to offer the opportunity for friendship.
1: And that it requires investment to do that. So you're giving a part of yourself away. And it really is important. One of the things that I'm doing in, in one of my churches at the moment is this growing together. So it's an initiative that our conference is actually involved in, the growing young together movement. And part of that is this intergenerational connectedness for us. So as a church, we've looked at it and went, okay, we want to be intergenerationally connected church. What does that look like? It looks like young people in our church actually having rich relationships with older people in our church, all the older people in our church, knowing the names of the young people in the church and so on. And all of it centered around the basic premise. We're richer as a community if we really invest in the cross-generation thing. And so one of the rules we've now set up as a church is that at the end of the service, you need to go and talk to someone of a different age group just to connect, just to reinforce that until that becomes part of our standard culture of what we're doing. So we're trying to shift the culture of what the way we do things. But at the heart of that is this basic idea that, that it really is about being friends so that a young person turns up at church and they're surrounded by... A group of older people who just so love them and invest in them, just like your story that you just shared there. Who who deeply care, and they're just like suddenly they're they're a little taller, they're a little sharper. They like they can't wait to be at church again because there's someone who gives a damn and is deeply cared for them, and they just feel loved Mm -hmm. and they feel like they belong. And it's that sense of belonging that we need to create a church that this is a place where you do belong you belong in our church you belong in God's family and we're brothers and sisters and we've got your back
0: there's something to be said for being interested in someone and it's just uh, we naturally as human beings in order to preserve our head the space in our head just make snap judgments of other people and this isn't always bad right because you have to function in life and you have to move and make decisions first impressions that's right like we can't kill ourselves over what is natural you know, to us. But w- we can acknowledge that we have a tendency to categorize people, to make really quick judgments about them. And, and we assume that we know who they are and we've got sufficient information about that person to know them and to determine whether or not they're worth our time and whether or not we want to interact with them. But it's crazy because every single time you end up getting close to someone that you previously had no interest in getting close to you always learn wow this is an amazing human being i'm enriched because i got to know them for sure well, i could have never guessed that all of this insight and knowledge and perspective would have come from this person that i thought so little of before and and with all those and all of us could probably look to our past and say i've got 10 examples of that happening so then why don't we learn from that and say you know what in every person is a wealth you know of experience They've gone a wealth of insight. There's a human being, a treasure, you know, a distinct creation of God. These treasures in jars of clay, Treasures in jars of clay. And I am going to be enriched if I get to know this person. God's going to show me something. I'm going to see the world from new eyes, the eyes of this other individual. They're going to communicate to me their struggles. And so I think if we would just be interested, and I think with this girl, I was just interested. I really was genuinely curious to know Who is she? What does she think? What does she feel?
1: In fact, Matt, this is a really good thing. Maybe we can just segue into this, because I think this is an important part of the conversation, right? Which is, if we are being a friend to others, we are doing friendship evangelism, 100%. If you're a real Christian and you're being a friend to others, that's friendship evangelism. It's the start. It's where it all starts. Along that line, though, is what that translates into is the sense in which how richer our lives have become. Until I make that commitment to actually want to get to know you more, it's more like a transaction. I'm just a user of you. But the moment I step across that and I make a decision to say, all right, I want to be your friend, now it becomes two-way. I influence you, you influence me. We're richer because of this relationship. And as you were just sharing before, it's just, I suddenly thought of all the funerals. And it's really at funerals that you learn the whole backstory to someone's life. And I'm blown away. A guy in my church once was, used to be a bikey and I'm like no way I had no idea but he used to also be part of a plumbing group who used to sing barbershop quartet stuff on the job you know singing hymns and I'm like I had no idea how cool is that and so much of a person's life is hid from us so what are the things that we need to do if I'm being a friend to someone what are the things that I need to bring to the table and I think one of those is curiosity. If our church members, if I myself was more curious about the people who are sitting in the pews with me, if I was more curious about their life and they about mine, we would discover such a rich tapestry of inter of, of things that would fulfill us, would interest us, that would... F- fuel conversation and take, m- create deeper intimacy and friendships, it'd be just a wonderful thing. And I think it's such a simple thing to foster is this idea of being curious.
0: And they're not, in, they're not a representation of a category. Like a person is not a representation of a category. They're a person. And I think that's one of the things that it inhibits us from being interested and curious about people, interested in and curious about people. And that is that we see them, they're just a category. They're just a representation of a category. And so just think of the conservative-liberal dynamic in the church. How many people are on different sides of certain issues that, that literally see, that, see each other as caricatures, not as people, not as human beings? Like, they're just a caricature. They because put them in a box. Because you see them as a representative, right, of a category. You don't see them as a person. And like you're saying, they're an object. They're an object to be dealt with. They're not a human to be related to. And really, this is a crime, and to see people that way is a crime, and it's contrary to the gospel that we profess to believe in. Like, how would we, how would we have ended up if Jesus saw us as a category to sinner. be dealt with? That's it, sinner, than people well, to just, be related to.
1: Yeah, totally, we'd be toast. Yeah,
0: done. Please, I don't know if you have any closing remarks, but I just wanted to say to the group, like everyone who listens to this podcast every week, this is not a scripted podcast. We don't have an agenda. We just want to talk about subjects. And this has been a free-flowing conversation. I've been really blessed by it, actually, and I hope that you have too. But I've never said this, by the way, Neil, to people that we don't script this. We're not sitting going, okay, well, then we're going to say this and... We do want to say some things when, you know, cool things came up in our convo. we wanted to address So I, I guess, it,
1: yeah, totally it is. And I love it as well. In fact, I don't really want it to end. There's, there's a couple of things that I would just, I think on this topic, I just want to slip in. So th- this is it. I think, for example, churches that are growing faster than others, they do a lot of meals together they socially interact with each other and there's a warm network of friends that people can become part of. So I would want to disrupt a church and say, let's get you becoming more socially active. Let's get you eating more together and doing meals and breaking bread and those kinds of things. In my churches I'm also getting them to in people's homes more. So it's like all right, so we're doing some stuff in homes and in being in a home and inviting people into my place, suddenly I'm seeing people I've never seen at church turn up in my place. And it's that's perfect. That's the the right place to, to get to know new people. And they're the things that, that become the oil for friendship evangelism, which can then work so well with other things that we've got going on in our church. And I think all of that begins to happen, just going back to the point that you made now just in closing, is that if I stop seeing people as objects, if I stop seeing them as a problem that needs fixing or as someone who's inferior to me or whatever it is, but if I start seeing them as who Jesus is died to save, if I start seeing them as someone who can bless my life and maybe I can be a blessing to their life, that maybe together our lives will be richer if we start sharing more. If I start seeing things that way, even unchurch people that way, that can lead to such an enriching of our life that it will transform things. And then God's able to do things in that space of friendship that wouldn't have been otherwise possible.
0: Amen. Amen. I said that that was the last thing I was going to say, Neil. But re- you before lied. I, before I lied, <laughs> I'm a liar. I didn't lie. I'm, you just inspi- I'm inspired. I'm not yeah. a liar. you inspired me. No, it's good. But I I was baptized through a series of evangelistic presentations, but the presentations themselves did not compel me. What compelled me that, that to be baptized and to move forward in faith in Christ was the conviction of the preacher, the the, the complete conviction of the preacher, and the Way that the people on the evangelism team related to each other. I couldn't believe it. Every night I would watch these people interact, interacting. And I was stunned because in all of my relationships, in all of my friendships, there was just an element of selfishness. You're mocking each other. You're teasing each other. You're harsh on each other. You're using each other. You're exploiting each other. You're just, it's all almost animalistic exchange, just base I get this from you, you're going to give this to it's, me. It's self centered. It's so, total self centered. And I saw these young Bible workers. It was like 10 people under the age of 23 from different parts of the United States doing volunteer service in the middle of Florida. And they just, the way they related, they were just beautiful. It was just beautiful. And they seemed to really enjoy their interaction. And like you to, wanted to that. have a rich and vibrant friendship relationship. But you could just see, it was almost like, they were free to be nice to each other because they waiting to be betrayed. It was just like, I'm committing to you, you're committing to me in trust-filled fellowship and friendship. And I wouldn't have said it like that when I was at that point No, you wouldn't. But I'm have. watching these people and I'm thinking, man, this is I, I would every night they didn't know, I'm watching them, bro, like a hawk, just thinking this is not real because literally you're just it, waiting to see that fall apart. Yes, yeah, because I couldn't believe it. Yeah, and it was just like Jesus said, by this. Well, all men know you're my disciples. If you have love or friendship, you're you, you, you are truly friends. And you truly love. Yeah. yeah. Listen, guys, thank you Yeah, for joining us this week. I hope that you've been as blessed as I have. And uh, yeah, it's been an enjoyable conversation, Neil. Thank you for coming by. You're very welcome. Yeah, we'll look forward to, to catching up with you guys again next week. God bless.